If you do a quick Google search with the term chemical free, you'll see all sorts of products being promoted along with advice for how to have a chemical free home or a chemical free lifestyle. So has our science education system failed to let people know that every physical thing that we see, touch or smell is made of chemicals? It seems like it, but what lots of people do believe is that anything we find in nature is somehow different from anything that's man-made. We tend to think of nature as a sort of benign entity that only gives us good things and chemicals aren't on that list. Now, there's nothing wrong with the love of nature. Hopefully, we can all relate to something like Paul McCartney's classic song, Mother Nature's Son, on the White Album. Nature is definitely something to celebrate and something to consider with wonder. But the reality is that far from being chemical-free, the chemical side of nature is just one more aspect of its beauty and diversity. The truth is, Mother Nature is a pretty amazing chemist. That's what I want to talk about today. I'm Steve Savage, and this is Pop Agriculture. Okay, so unlike what Florence and the Machine sings in 95% of his songs, nature isn't really a cosmic mother figure. It's a collection of biological and physical processes. But if we indulge the human-female personification for a minute, there are certain things we could say about nature as a chemist. She's extremely creative. She can make really complex molecules. Some of her chemicals last a really long time, which can be good or sometimes bad. Nature is good at making polymers, and nature does make some extremely toxic things. So, some examples. Let's start with creativity. The diversity of naturally occurring chemicals is staggering. It's like continuous segments of the Monty Python skit and now for something completely different. And we regularly take advantage of this diversity. We have learned to look to nature when we need ideas for things like pharmaceuticals or crop protection products. Sometimes we can extract a useful chemical right out of a plant. In other cases, we can grow tanks of microbes and get them to make chemicals we find useful. Sometimes nature makes a really useful chemical, but it isn't feasible to get enough of it directly from the original source. And in such cases, scientists can often make the identical chemical in sufficient supply. One good example of this would be the anti-cancer drug Taxol. It comes from the Pacific yew tree, but to have enough to treat the people who need it, it is now made semi-synthetically, meaning that chemists start with some more abundant starting material from nature and then do some more chemical steps to get to the same end product that comes from the yew trees. Another example would be a chemical that helps keep potatoes from sprouting while they're in storage. That chemical occurs naturally in a variety of foods, but not at levels that are practical for extracting it. Again, human chemists can imitate nature and make the exact same chemical. The old saying goes, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Well, we often imitate the chemistry from nature and add our own creativity to come up with related chemicals that work the same way but may be better for our purposes. In the pharmaceutical realm, these natural product mimics are extremely common. For instance, there's a great review article showing that for cancer treatments approved between 1940s and 2014, 
75% of them were either derived from nature or are mimics of natural chemicals. And the same general trend is true for all sorts of other drugs. Mimics of natural products are also important for crop protection. For example, there's an important family of fungicides called strobilurines that are very safe and quite effective. They're based on a chemical idea that was first found among some wood-rotting mushrooms in Europe. Strobilurine fungicides are particularly important to protect grain, fruit, and vegetable crops from diseases that would otherwise severely limit their productivity and quality. So that was a look at the creativity side. Now let's look at complexity. Some of the most abundant chemicals in nature are simple. Nearly 80% of the air we breathe is nitrogen in the form N2, just two nitrogen atoms bonded together. Now, nitrogen goes through chemical cycles that are important for all living things, but often it stays in still relatively uncomplicated forms, like the four-atom compound ammonia, NH3. On the other hand, natural chemicals can be super complex, even too complex for chemists to replicate. There's an example of this degree of complexity in a natural chemical called spinosad that is made by a microbe called an actinomycete. Actinomycetes are kind of like bacteria. They're abundant in soil, and apparently that great smell after a rain has to do with chemicals that they make. Spinosad is very effective as an insecticide and used on lots of crops. It's quite benign for the environment and isn't at all toxic to people. But the only practical way to make spinosad is to harness the skills of a microbe. It's way too big and complex a molecule for chemists. There are other similarly safe and highly effective insecticides, which are made by starting with one of these super complex products similar to this and then chemically tweaking it a bit. So Mother Nature can do complexity, and we have learned to take advantage of that. Nature makes many chemicals that are only around for a very short time before they're broken down into smaller components. And often, nature's chemicals are involved in cycles in which they're created, broken down, created again fairly rapidly. In general, it's a goal of man-made chemicals to imitate nature in the sense of making most of our chemicals ones that won't persist in the environment for a long time. That's definitely one of the criteria an approval agency like the EPA looks at for any new or old crop protection chemical. Now, there are natural chemicals that last a long time. N2O, nitrous oxide, is a very long-term persistent greenhouse gas in the atmosphere. And that's a natural chemical, but that's not a good thing. But there are persistent natural chemicals that are a good thing. You might not think of rocks as being made of chemicals, but they are, and they can last for millions of years. On the biology side, there are some complex natural chemicals made by plants that we call lignin. And lignin is important for making the cell walls of plants strong. And after plants die, most of their chemicals break down and go through some natural cycle. But lignin is much more resistant to breakdown, and over time, it builds up in a soil as a major component of what we call humus, and that's an important aspect of a healthy soil. It helps buffer nutrients, retain moisture, give the soil three-dimensional structure, they let it breathe. It's a very good thing for the environment. Well, when soils experience too much mechanical disturbance, say from something like plowing, even long-lived chemicals like lignin can get broken down. And so the health of the soil declines. 
This is why new methods of farming that avoid or minimize soil disturbance are an important step towards sustainability. In this case, it's man-made herbicide chemicals being used to protect a good, persistent, natural chemical like lignin. So let's go on to polymers. Have you seen the classic 1967 movie, The Graduate? There's a scene in that movie where the character played by young Dustin Hoffman is lectured about how the future is going to be all about plastics. And indeed, many people were excited in that area about plastics and other polymers that chemists were developing, like nylon and polyester. Now, polymer is a very large molecule made from a chain of smaller monomer chemicals attached end to end. Look around you and notice how many things that you need and use every day are made out of plastics or other polymers. Now, as important as man-made polymers are for modern life, there are definitely some big issues. An unimaginably large amount of plastic ends up in the ocean, a lot of it because of human carelessness. Also, most plastics are made from fossil petrochemicals, which isn't a great thing from a climate change perspective. Now, interestingly, there's a lot of innovation going on today to find ways to make bio-based plastics, where the building block monomers are something maybe that comes from a plant or an algae. But polymers are not just a man-made thing. Many of the most abundant natural chemicals on Earth are polymers. And most of these natural polymers are long chains of simple sugar molecules. Depending on which sugar is involved and how the sugars are linked together, the polymers can have very different properties. The starch in pasta, bread, or potatoes is a polymer. So is the alginate from seaweed used to thicken lots of foods. One great example of a natural polymer is cellulose, which makes up everything from cotton fiber to wood. There's a lot of cellulose in grass and other plants. It's probably the most abundant form of stored solar energy on the planet. And if it wasn't for ruminant animals like cows, we wouldn't have any way to tap into that energy source. We can't break down cellulose. But in these ruminants, the bacteria in their specialized stomachs allows them to break it down and basically release that energy for us. Well, let's talk about toxicity. Now, of course, the main reason people are interested in a chemical-free life is that they think it's healthier because they are worried about chemicals that are toxic and dangerous. While chemical-free isn't an actual option, decades of marketing has advertised that what we need to do is to seek what's natural, and that way it will be safe and wholesome. Actually, it turns out that some of the most toxic chemicals known are produced in nature. That's obvious if you actually think about it. Spider venom, snake venom are natural chemicals, and they're certainly very toxic. And there are lots of plants that make toxic chemicals. Think about poison ivy or even something like the beautiful state flower of Colorado, the columbine. You don't want to eat those. Then there is a, a red tide in the ocean that can kill hundreds of thousands or millions of fish. And that's because of a natural toxin made by certain algae. Those are kind of dramatic examples, but something that most people don't consider is that there are toxic natural chemicals in many of our foods and beverages. For instance, the seeds of an apple contain hydrogen cyanide, something pretty toxic. And it's not an issue for us because we don't eat the seeds. Cauliflower and eggplant both contain a little nicotine, the toxic, addictive, natural chemical that occurs at high levels in tobacco. Now, the cauliflower and eggplant are perfectly safe foods because the levels of nicotine are too low to hurt us. 
But there are some naturally toxic chemicals in food for which we have specifically developed a taste. We like hot peppers because of the capsation that powers their flavor. Well, capsation is a pretty toxic natural chemical. But once again, the dose makes the poison and we don't get enough of it to hurt us, even in some really spicy dishes. And caffeine, which we want in our morning coffee, is also reasonably toxic. But unless you consume insane amounts of something like an energy drink, that naturally toxic chemical is just going to keep you awake, not hurt you. Interestingly, of the pesticides that are used on crops today, very few are nearly as toxic as caffeine or capsaicin, the natural chemicals we voluntarily eat and drink. And that is true of the natural pesticides and the synthetic pesticides. Not only that, but the residues of pesticides that might be left by the time food gets to us are also at much lower levels than those favorite natural toxins of ours. Now, there are some natural chemicals that we really don't want in our food. For instance, when some crops are damaged by the feeding of insects, those injuries can become infected with a fungus called Aspergillus flavus. And then that fungus produces a particularly nasty natural chemical called aflatoxin that is highly toxic and a potent carcinogen. Why haven't I heard about this, you might be saying. Because in the U.S. and other parts of the developed world, we do a really good job of keeping aflatoxin and other dangerous mycotoxins out of our food supply. For instance, farmers work hard to prevent that crop damage by insects. And to do that, they use chemical pesticides and biological controls and even insect-resistant lines. Then after the crops are harvested, they're sampled and tested to spot any problems and reject them. In the case of a crop like almonds or peanuts, the individually shelled nuts go down a conveyor belt past a certain light source. And if the nut gives off some fluorescence, that suggests the fungus might be there and a puff of air knocks that nut off the line. So consumers in the developed world are protected from this and other examples of nasty natural chemicals. Unfortunately, in the developing world, these safeguards are not in place. And because aflatoxin contamination of maize, corn, and groundnuts, peanuts, hundreds of thousands of people in these countries have died. So, we certainly don't have the option to live a chemical-free life because nature is a prolific, creative chemist. Whether a chemical is good, useful, safe, or dangerous isn't based on whether it's made by nature or by one of us. After all, as McCartney says, we are Mother Nature's son or daughter, and we can learn a lot from mom. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.